Hi, I'm Macaulay Jones. Dick Johnson from DJR Team Penske, and you're on Inside Supercar. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars, Tony Whitlock and Craig Ravel, and we're talking with Chris Stuckey, who's back racing again, and I imagine you're very pleased to be doing that, Chris. Yeah, that's right, yep, very exciting to get back amongst it, uh, obviously it's been a while, um, so yeah, it was, it was good. Now, now you've got a, a recent call-up to be uh, engineering on Alex Davison's car 19, um, had you been working on another car earlier this year? Yeah, I was working with the Triple Eight uh, Super Two team and Angelo Mazuris. Yep. Uh, we did Clipsal and we've done a number of uh, rookie and test days, but obviously uh, during the pandemic, everything changed. Their team structure changed, um, and then basically I was um, I was out looking for other options at that point. So thankfully, um, there was an option. Uh, obviously, the the situation at Team Sydney had been evolving. And Alex had just come on board, um, and then there was a. With me being available, I was able to join um, for this event and going forward for this season. Okay. Now, in fact, you know uh, Alex, of course, because you were at Stone Brothers. Would that be correct? Uh, there wasn't a crossover. I actually, um, I went there towards at the very end of the Stone Brothers. So it was effectively the same team, but the start of Erebus. So I'd effectively um, spoken to those guys while they were all wearing blue, and then um, the actual racing side of it was with Erebus, so there wasn't a uh, crossover, but obviously all those guys had been um, familiar with Alex as being um, part of that team previous prior. Now, for people, Craig, uh, of course, is, comes from a family of motor racing. I don't, but um, you've been and racetracks for a very long time because your family, your grandfather and father, in the tyre business, the Dunlop men of Melbourne. Uh, I imagine yeah, you were very young when you first went to a racetrack. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, um, really? uh, well, I, I would have been, I think back in the early days, I won't go into exact details, but I was born in the 70s, so Dad was um, showing Dunlop tyres back then when I was, basically from when I was born, so... I think in the early days, it was a small team. My mum would have been part of it. And uh, I would have been there from uh, from the get-go. And and later on, I just used to go around as a youngster um, with Dad to the track and, and run off and, you know, cause some try and keep out of trouble, run around tracks as a youngster. Yeah, it was from from very early age. Your, your grandmother... Your grandmother, of course, was an institution in uh, Sydney Road in Brunswick. That's right. That's right. Yep. Uh, 1966, the business started. Um, there was purely a, a road car fire service. And then during the 70s, they started to take on work um, for Dunlop in, the, in motorsport. And they still, to this day, sell uh, quite a big range of Dunlop motorsport. Changed a little bit. The landscape has obviously changed a fair bit since then. So they also um, tend to sell other brands and, and sort of specialty niche items that they're focusing on these days. Uh, yeah, definitely still very, um, family's been very much part of the, the motorsport team. 
And of course, uh, you you got an engineering degree. Um, you would well remember the, I mean, and it was a particularly vibrant and wonderful time. I was lucky enough to be there uh, reporting on it. it. Was the era of free tyres? That's not free as in here you are, no, no cost, but free as in you could run whatever brand you want. None of this control tyre stuff. It was a wonderful period of time. I, I remember it vividly when Dunlop, of course, Bridgestone. Yokohama, and a little bit of Hoosier on the end. That would have been a great time for your father, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. That was, um, I guess that was that was the peak of the, the technical aspect of the, the open tyre. Um, and I actually spent a lot of time doing that before. I actually went back to uni as a mature age student. So I, prior to going to uni, I'd spent a lot of time, um, you know, with these, you know, we'd travel for two weeks test, open testing. And, you know, it's depending on, on the source of the tyre, whether the Japanese or the English technicians would come out with a, you know, a range of different tyres, whether it be construction, compounds, different combinations of both. And, yeah, just pound around seemingly unlimited amount of tyres. And, and, yeah, it was incredible some of the things they were coming up with and working on. Um, yeah, so that's, that aspect of it did take... Um, and it did take something out of it in terms of what we were doing, but also the control tyres being good for the category as a whole. So, uh, you know, they're both. I look at both and I see well, there's there's positives in both sides of those um, approaches. You know, with the rules, but certainly um, the tyre war, as you would call it, was it was very exciting. What were you doing during that early seventies? Did you race, or were you always on the tools? Um, I did. I had. I was traditionally, I think I grew up more as a, as a ball sport sort of a kid, but, um, being at the track, I was also, I also had a passion for motorsport and actually dad and I did race a go-kart, um, back in the nineties, early nineties when I, um, got a bit older, we decided to have a bit of a crack for fun. And it's actually strange. I spoke with Alex about it the other day. One of the first families we bumped into was the Davisons. Um, we arrived at the track pretty green with our go-kart, um, not knowing a great deal. And, and they obviously were, were quite well involved. So I think Richard and Alex were helping, giving us a few pointers um, at the very start. And then Alex and I spoke about that just recently. That would have been back when he was um, uh, early in his junior's, junior go-kart career. So I did have a bit of a go then. But other than that, um, tie-wise, I was, it was an interesting time where we could, I could sort of be involved and listen and try and learn off the um, off all the technicians that were coming over. and and play a part in that, working pit lane, you know, recording temperatures and pressures, but also we would be fitting tyres and doing a lot of the uh, the other stuff as well. So it was a bit of a pretty big, you know, a bit of a broad experience in that sense. But um, from that, basically, when the control tie came in, it did change a lot of that. That's, that's essentially why I ended up back at uni because, you know, rem- that, the removal of that, that technical aspect and the, the interest at that level you know, with the removal of that, you know, it was sort of left a bit of a hole. So I went chasing um, the, more the engineering side of it to get back in um, with the teams. And thankfully that sort of um, has, I've been able to sort of stay amongst it since then. What was the first, the what was the first car you engineered then? Uh, I I started helping out with the Delbertos when they were in um, DVS. Um, but it was more just a general hand, and obviously I had had the tie background, which I was um, trying to help with as well. 
uh, as a race engineer, the data engineer with Tony, and did some race engineering with him as well. But the first full-time gig as a race engineer was with uh, at BJR with Carl Reimer, and that would have been in 2011. What have you seen as the biggest differences between going from team to team and the way they go about racing? Because at the end of the day, they're all going round and round. How about when they're trying to prepare their car and, and the engineering you do on the car? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, that's one of the things that, you know, I haven't um, – I've, I've had to move around for one reason or another. It's not, you know, like I think a lot of the teams I've worked with are reduced in size, so I've had to uh, – hasn't always been ideal, but, uh, you know, just roll with it. And I've been managed to pick up work um, after having, you know, some of these – some of the teams sort of reducing in size. So I'll move around with it. And certainly they, all the teams do things differently, but at the same time, a lot of it's pretty much exactly the same. It's, it's quite interesting. Um, you know, you still obviously prepare and debrief and um, try to get on, improve everything and get on top of problems. And a lot, there's a common theme that everyone does approach things that in that sense, but certainly tuning priorities um, and just the team vibe and, and structure can be can change a lot. So it's been good in that sense just to learn how different people do it and you sort of take bits and pieces with you along the way, things that, that really impress you and things that maybe you felt could have done that other teams may have done better. So, it's, yeah, it's been beneficial in that sense. I've been able to learn a lot from a lot of you know good operators in this category. What prompted the move to Queensland? Um, well, it's, it's funny actually, and it, and it does come back to the tyre the background a bit as well. Um, I had had been working at BJR, and that was a really good experience. Um, I really enjoyed that. It's that um, when I'd spoken to people that I knew, and John Bow was one. He he spoke highly of them. He said, you know, he really enjoyed the lifestyle and the and the team camaraderie. And uh, he he was exactly right. That was a really good environment to work there. But going back to the tyre side of things, the Stone Brothers used to run the um, the Falcons, the Dick Johnson Racing. And they and we used to do a lot of testing with them, and I was always impressed how when they came on board, you know, they became quite a strong. They were a very competitive team, and they were, you know, obviously they won championship in Bathurst. And then they set their own team up, and the same thing happened. You know, maybe not. Um, I can't from the top of my head whether it was they'd won Bathurst as a team, but certainly championships they were dominating for a while. So I was always impressed with how they went about it, and always felt that that'd be a great place to work. So I did speak to them earlier about it. Um, a job back in 2010, I believe, um, and nothing came of it. But essentially, they were still looking for a race engineer, and I'd, you know, given that opportunity and and what I'd been through, seeing them operate before, um, I, I, when that opportunity came up, I took it. If we talk about sliding doors moments, then. 20 years ago, I think it was 20 years ago this year, it might have been last year, we saw the control tyre come in as as you and Tony were talking about earlier. Would, had Bridgestone not got it and Dunlop got it, would Stucky tyres have been the um, people looking after the control tyres back in those days or that hadn't been talked about? Uh, I don't believe it. Certainly it came to an abrupt end because it was Bridgestone, um, but I think the landscape was changing. And just just the volume and just the way the category was um, evolving and was obviously, uh, you know, the TV deals and the, the formulation of supercars, it was growing quite a lot. So I think it probably outgrew the model that, that, that we had been using. Um, so I'm not sure if there was a place for us 
at that point, which was a bit of a shock because as I'd grown up with it, I'd probably taken it for granted for some aspects because my whole life we'd had good ties, lots of contracts, you know, really involved at the pointy end. And, and that, yeah, I was, that was all I knew. And then obviously the introduction of control so again, a bit stone and us probably not being a part of it going forward was a bit of a shock. Um, so, and certainly, you know, it was, you know, it was a bit, little bit disappointing, but from there, obviously that's brought on a different, you know, a different chapter for me, which has worked out well. As, so I, I certainly can't complain, but it was a bit sad at the time. So um, you had to quickly get to grips with, uh, you know, only a couple of practice sessions. You would have been only there on the Friday afternoon. Would that be correct? I actually flew up on Wednesday. I spoke to Jonathan. Um, and being the first time to be involved, you know, it was good to get there a couple of days uh, earlier. And, and uh, obviously we got the, um, the first stage of the workshop at the track there. So it was actually, you know, they'd, they'd painted it nice, painted floors, everything was clean, good lighting, you know, it was, it was the start of obviously what they want to do there. So it was good to get there early and just try and, um, yeah, reacclimatize. Obviously I've been out of the supercars um, the main series this season. So not only was it the new team, but it was getting back into the main series category as well. So I had a couple of days at least to, um, just to try and get back up to speed, which, which helped. We still, um, we still went through the weekends, you know, not necessarily on the back foot, but with a lot, you know, giving the others a fair head start. But, um, but yeah, it was good to at least get a couple of days and get to know the mechanics and crew and, and talk about how we wanted to approach the weekend. Alex and Jonathan drove down, I think, on the Wednesday from Queensland. So he was there um, to get together with you. So you had that time to get to know him a bit better. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And um, so, and obviously, it's nothing. Nothing can really compare to actually, you know, working through race weekends. But at least to, uh, you know, we compared notes a little bit about some of the places we'd worked and the cars he'd driven. And that I've been involved in, and um, yeah, it's interesting just to just to basically compare the, the experiences and how they found to get the most out of the cars, and you know, touching on strategy. And obviously, we were talking. This was a new strategy that we were coming across for that event um, with the tyre use and the race format, which was you know, as we all saw, was you know, played out in different ways. There were a few different options how to go about it. So it was good to just get talking about those sorts of things. Um, beforehand you had a, a D and F or you didn't uh, do the full 32 laps in race one what, what happened there uh, we had a steering clevis fail left front steering clevis um, yeah um, early in the race so we didn't get to that that first stop we had an, a small issue early in practice which which we didn't quite fully understand at the time you know we just corrected it and moved on and didn't seem to be we thought we were we thought we were past it. So it may have been related to what actually happened, but uh, Alex reported early into the race that the steering um, was was doing some strange things. You know, it actually uh, become left-hand down quite suddenly and, you know, getting a vague feeling, you know, so that we knew that there was an issue. And, you know, we'd spoken about it over the course of that problem. Obviously, you don't want to make a risk. You take any too many risks with the car. So... We we made the decision to come in and check it out, and then it actually failed, breaking into um, the pit lane speed limit uh, speed limit zone. So, so thankfully we did make that call, and that completely failed. So 
Um, obviously, there was no no question as to what what the problem was there. But the, yeah, it was actual steering clevis that basically um, completely failed. Which yeah, sometimes you can relate those back to. We've had that in the past. You know, maybe some some contact there can can weaken it, and uh, ultimately it lead, lead, could have led to that failure. We're with Chris Stuckey from the local Legends Racing engineer for Alex Davison, and Chris. What was interesting was you were one of only two uh, non-finishers across the weekend, and one of the interesting things I spoke to some of the drivers about was did they feel like they had enough people if something like that went wrong? How mindful with the curfew and everything happening were you of, gee, if this is a big problem, we we might not be able to make it? Yeah, absolutely. That that was a big factor in it. Um, you know, with some of the, the spacing between the, the – the sessions were quite tight. So as soon as you finished one, you were effectively preparing for the next one. So any drama that you had, was going to impact your weekend. So yeah, it had to be, had, that was definitely part of the process. Um, and essentially, like I said, we got through with the curfew okay. And um, they did what we needed to do on the Saturday night. But yeah, any, any sort of bigger issues and that would have, um, that would have been, a, made things quite difficult. And certainly where we were coming for, you know, we're more, you know, we we're a less experienced group. You know, we just sort of come together. So there was that we're working with as well. So we certainly had to be careful. And that and that probably led to the decision to call the car in as soon as we suspected an issue rather than, than risking it. Um and yeah, and it and it and it turned out to be the right one for that. We were able to get it sorted and regroup for the next day. The team had only just brought down the uh, equipment from the workshop, given that the cars had lived in the truck from the Grand Prix right up until, uh, you know, just moving in there only uh, you know, a week or so ago. So did you have all the things you needed at the workshop um, to, to make all the repairs needed? Yeah, absolutely. I was actually quite impressed because, I'm, you know, coming in, coming in a short notice, you know, like it was all – I was quite excited to get on board, but I didn't really know what, what we were going to be facing. But, you know, we had, like for instance, the radio is probably, it had really good radio, and the radio reception is the best I've ever had. That was fantastic. You know, we had good equipment in the garage. You know, the cars the cars will be quite good. Um, so there were a lot of positives, and everything was there that we needed. So in terms of that, everything ran quite smoothly, and I was quite pleased that we're, the resources we had with us. Uh, obviously, it depends a lot what you do with them um, from there. To be competitive, but yeah, everything was there that we needed. Um, you know, we we're a bit raw, short on pit stop time, and we we didn't have the pit stop um, practice rig there, which we should be able to rectify when we you know can spend some more time together as a group and have that as part of the um, part of the event prep. Because our especially the format these days, the pit stop is essential. A quick pit stop is essential, um, and we've got some experienced guys and some not so experienced, so. That's sort of one area that we're, we're going to need to uh, tune up as we go on. One of the great things that Team Sydney has, and I know the two drivers pretty well, uh, I've, I've known them a long time, both of them, they're, they're both optimistic, um, cheerful, and, and you know, good-hearted people. And that's, you know, when you're working in the insular environment you are, that's a very important factor. Uh, I, I'm sure that you would understand that better than me. Yeah, absolutely, and that's—I guess—that's another reason why the, the the weekend actually went. Although we wanted to be, you know, we wanted to be stronger in 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 terms of pace, but 
in terms of the drivers understanding where we were at and what we could achieve and, and how we're going to go about it and improve for the future, that was a big part because they're both, they were both, uh, well, you know, you can't blame it for being impatient and wanting to get on top of things straight away. They can understand that it's, it's not going to happen overnight, but they can see that obviously the places, the pieces are coming together and, and there, there could be a bright future. You know, there's no reason why we can't get good past speed. Um, we just got to take all the right steps now and then hopefully that'll bear fruit sort of, you know, as the season progresses and, and having their, having that approach from them, you know, yeah, it's, it makes an incredible difference, especially with the whole crew. If ever, you know, everyone's um, doing their best, the drivers can see that and we're, you know, we are managing to get on top of things as we go. So, um, that's, that's a really strong part of the process. They set a good example in that respect. And so what's the program now for you? Um, have you uh, signed on to do the balance of this year or? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So I'll do the rest of the season. Um, hopefully we don't have any, obviously Victoria at the moment, there's a, you know, there's, we, we've still got a bit of a problem here. So hopefully that doesn't influence any of the events, but at, at this stage, you know, all events are locked in and I'm um, looking forward to doing the rest of the season. Okay, so what what are you going to do between now and Winton? What what's the program? Um, well, I'm I'm doing some work from home here. Obviously, we're a little bit spread out. The other engineer, um, G, is in uh, Gold Coast along with Alex and Chris is Victorian. So we're a little bit spread out, but um, we're going to get together, um, and we'll obviously debrief the weekend in a normal sort of way. Obviously, um, we'll have to just do that um, online, but we can that that won't be a problem. So we'll debrief get our thoughts together on how it all went down and what we could could have done and should have done, um, what worked out okay, and obviously turn that into um, the pre-brief as well and go to, and we'll be working on how we can how we can uh, improve for Winton. But effectively, yeah, we'll all be working on our own and, and, and touching base with each other and um, catch up at Winton and um, away, go, away we go. Have you had any indication if is any change to uh, the format at all or any of the uh, regs for uh, Winton? Uh, only, obviously, of, of um, the stop regs. Um, I've had a little bit of information come through. Um, obviously, the, the tyre format and things like that seem to be decided, so you can sort of get a bit of a heads up. Um, there's been some information come through about that. Um, but otherwise, obviously, we've got a little bit of time and we get everything locked in. Um, we'll we'll start to obviously plan around those as the, as the information comes through. But so generally at the moment, the format seems to be this seems to be the format we'll be running um, for the time being. Obviously, we'll have supports at uh, Winston, which will be good. They want you know might spread out, have a little bit more time at the track to go through things. Um, but yeah, essentially, I believe the formats will be uh, quite similar, and obviously with the the hard and the soft tire available. Chris, there was no data allowed. A lot of people talk to the guys at the front of the field and say, what does that mean to you? But there was a thought, a school of thought, that if you took the data away, it would impact the teams that are uh, trying to work their way forward more um, more aggressively than perhaps the teams at the front. What did you take from this race meeting and the change in what data was available? Uh, well, it's good to... Sometimes you get you can get bogged down a bit in the data, I guess. So it's, it's kind of refreshing in a sense to not have your the head stuck in a laptop before and you know immediately after a session and um, 
So it's a bit more refreshing, especially where, where I was just starting to work with Alex. Basically, you just spend more time with your driver and you've got your timing, which is, is key. And, and even with the data, the timing is, is, also, is also a massive part of it. So you've still got the timing and we can see where we need to make time, you know, how much, how far away we are. And, and it, it enables uh, you know, to develop the understanding with your driver as well. Um, some of it's a bit more trial and error without having the data to, to relay the feedback to. But, um, but that just makes it more, more interesting. And I think there's, two way, there's another way of looking at it also because some of the, the, more, um, the, 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 the more proven teams, I suppose you'd call them, but the top teams essentially um, are very good with the data and can do a lot, you know, quite a lot of tools to manipulate the data to how they can understand the performance of the car. So that probably takes away some, a lot of their strengths as well. So it's, there's two ways of looking at it. But, yeah, certainly I thought it was, it was refreshing to go that way. Um, and, uh, you know, as long as it's the same for everyone, it's, um, you know, we can just get on with it and, and make the most of what we do have. Given Sydney Motorsport Park is a track that does have high tyre degradation, and, and now we're going to Winton, which is nowhere near as high, um, do you feel that uh, you're not going to have the same strategy alternative, so to speak? Yeah, well, now, obviously, um, yes, that's exactly right. Um, Sydney Motorsport Park, yeah, you know, four tyres is an advantage, but it obviously takes longer to change four tyres. So there was always that consideration, whereas now um, it's less reliant on tyres to get through some of these um, some of these sprint races. And um, in that sense, yeah, obviously, the, the pit stop's going to be critical again. But um, certainly the, the way the tyre is used, you can do quite long stints there um, without, you know, you can use that to your advantage, obviously, but long stints at Sydney Motorsport Park normally, you know, obviously with the high deg, your lap times are blowing out, so there's that. But certainly at Winton, traditionally, or well, since they resurfaced the track, you know, the deg's been minimal and the tyre grip quite good. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be completely different. But, uh, yeah, like I mentioned, I think we're going to be looking at the hard tyre there as well. So there'll be, there'll be that to consider, but, yeah. The tire, chalk and cheese in terms of um, the, the, the wear on tyres. Well, Chris, thank you so much for giving us an insight into uh, round one virtually of uh, Supercars 2020 program because uh, you weren't at the Grand Prix, you weren't at Adelaide, you were doing your own thing in another team, in another series almost. But uh, it's wonderful. We uh, wish you great success at uh, Winton. I'm pretty certain the media is still on a lockout situation and uh, we won't be able to to uh, get there, but love to talk to you. Uh, maybe just after winter would be good. Yep, yeah, that's uh, any time. Thanks for having me. Okay, well, that's terrific to hear Chris Stuckey of T Sydney on the local legends number 19, Alex Davison car. Wonderful to have him on today, and tomorrow we've got Alex giving us his version of getting back to racing. Craig, it's really fantastic to, uh, to get those comments and hear firsthand what it's like. Indeed, he was uh, always fascinating to speak to these guys and uh, when they're so forthright and frank. And I'm really looking forward to Alex Davison tomorrow because there's a driver who also tells it how it is. And that's it from Inside Supercars. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. 
The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.